0: Good morning and welcome to the Cedar Skier podcast. Well, we're about halfway through the Olympics, there are some things which need to be discussed. What is the difference between mental toughness and mental health? Which athletes should you care about moving forward? Who have been our top 3 favorite athletes of the game so far? Plus, did you know the best journalist at these games is only 10 years old? We will introduce you to her. What did we think of the 10K which just finished up this morning? And finally, If the Olympics was held in one location forever or on a rotation of four spots, where would we prefer it to be? And we'll let you weigh in on it, too. All that and more on the Cedar Skier Podcast brought to you by the United States Ski Pole Company, Sport Hill, and Vitamix. Well, it is July 30th, everyone, and the Olympics are underway. What are we on, like, day nine? It's hard to keep track of what days we are on because... Um, the, the, of the time difference. So if you're watching at night, it's morning there and you wake up at 4 a.m. here and, and we're watching primetime in Tokyo. It does make it a little bit confusing. Personally, I, I did the peacock way and um, that hasn't been great in terms of catching all the things I wanted to see. Um, we lack uh, uh, well, public TV, I guess, network TV out here in Leadville. So unless you buy cable, so I can't even watch primetime on NBC unless I find a way On the internet, but I did manage to catch the 10K this after or this morning, and saw Grant Fisher place fifth. That was exciting to see him run very well. Kind of a strange race, nothing special really at all. Not a really fast time, a typical championship style. They went out in about 14:10, came back in 13:30s, and um, the last lap wasn't all that fast, 53 seconds, I think. They split the leaders in. Um, and then, of course, Cheptegei didn't even win. The world record holder, of course, was in the race, Josh Cheptegei, Jacob Keplimo, his teammate, some thought it, who is better than Cheptegei. Uh, they ended up making a late surge in the final 200, and it kind of came up short. Chepteguy was second, Limo was third, and Solomon Borrego was first. And they, if they had had a little more real estate, I think Cheptegei would have caught Borrega. Uh Just kind of bizarre, though, as seen at the finish, watching Cheptegei, the world record holder, uh, not not really care so much about how the outcome uh, seemed to be. He just sort of, it seemed like he was running a rep of mile repeat. And he finished and just kind of like, oh well, whatever. And um, it really made just an incredible. Error, you know, he, he could have won gold had he gone sooner. Of course, had he just decided to time trial the whole thing, it's hard to know. Maybe his fitness and health isn't where it should be, but uh did seem kind of bizarre. Of course, in his world record, I believe he stopped his stopwatch like seconds at after the finish line or right at the finish line. So he he seems like a little bit of a different character, different cat as far as uh 10k, 5k champions go. I don't know, he was the world champion in the 10k in 2019 and then of course in 2020 he set his the 5k world record and 10k world record which hadn't been broken in, since 08 i think with bekele some some of those records seemed untouchable so kind of weird to see a person of that uh stature go out in the way that he did but that's that's how the cookie crumbled as they say so not all all that dramatic Uh, men's 10k but it was fun to see some finals on the track i feel like i've missed pretty much all the swimming not being able to watch NBC. so i don't know what i'm missing there of course suny lee you saw highlight after highlight of her wonderful gold medal all around that was uh, a beautiful outcome given the drama that's uh, has been circling around u.s gymnastics i think we were all uh, pleased to see suny win very cool minnesota native adds to it as well but uh, the Olympics is kind of all about storytelling. And one thing that has disappointed me as a storyteller, aspiring journalist, is the fact that um, the narrative has and the opportunity to push narratives has not been lost on NBC, ESPN, all of the big wigs that are kind of um, behind the storytelling <laughs> that we see at the Olympics. And I don't know if you, before they started, or, are like me and kind of. Wanted to go out and find the previews. You know, let's see who we should be watching. What are the, what are the interesting storylines going into the Olympics? That's something I find fascinating. In fact, just a quick pause. Probably the best part of the Olympics are the stories and often not the ones that are covered mainstream. Um, it is the person who's in their fifth Olympic games. Uh, the person who's lost two or three times in a row fell in the hurdles in the finals, two Olympics in a row, you know, the ones who athletes who had the world at world war two in the middle and then come back and do great things. Or, you know, it's the agony of defeat, the exhilaration of, of, uh, winning as they say. Um, so it, that's what I find fascinating about the Olympics are these kind of inside very special stories. And there have been a few of those, um, no doubt, but typically it just seems like, uh, the bigger, the bigger networks want to push whatever narrative has been going on in society. They, they take the Olympics and wield it as a tool to push, um, specific narratives. And that was very evident if you looked at the ESPN Olympic story of athletes to watch. Um, and I just felt, I guess like this was something where, Uh, the, the narrative, I guess I won't go into details. You can, you can go read the article. If you want to make your own conclusions, (laughs) you'll, you'll know what I mean. Okay. Let's put it that way. Uh, um, but, but basically many of the athletes that they chose to highlight there, they are not being highlighted for their athletic prowess and their background stories are very much on one side of the aisle, so to speak which I find disappointing because it it is fair to highlight an athlete because of a unique background story or because they are just so dominant. And, um, I, I just think if you're going to do that, then you have to be, you have to be fair in choosing those background stories and, and NBC ESPN are not, uh, for example, um, if you're going to highlight, uh, let's say Noah Lyles or Gwen Berry. Who have been um obviously huge social advocates in certain things they've done, uh protesting uh and the like, then why not highlight someone like uh Trayvon Bromel, who has also overcome uh, an incredible, incredibly unlikely injury. Um Bromel, Bromel's story is much more remarkable than Gwen Berry's story. (laughs) I'm sorry, It, it is. And um Noah Lyles is not as good at his craft as Vashti Cunningham, okay? But but there's a distinct reason why those two athletes have not been chosen to be highlighted. And Vashti Cunningham is humble, and she is soft-spoken. She just goes about her business. She is unbelievably talented, coached by her father, Randall Cunningham, former NFL uh, quarterback, okay? but But they don't want to highlight her story <laughs> for obvious reasons, um, she's a Christian. <laughs> okay, that's one Trayvon Bromel as well. But Bromel, I'm I'm shocked in a sense they aren't making more uh, uh, more to do about his story. I mean, 2016, I think he was a bronze medalist in Rio. He tore his Achilles in the four by one diving for the line and in a non-winning effort um and basically in the last 2 or 3 years disappeared now coming into 2015 he was nca champ fastest high school 100 meter runner of all time you know the the era parent in a long line of sprint champions in the us Uh, Just had everything going for him and the Achilles injury, all this disaster that took place pretty much, you know, knocked him out of the sport completely. He's sponsored by New Balance, not Nike, by the way. Uh, Interesting too, but, but essentially to come back from what he has and literally dominate um, throughout this circuit, go through the trials and dominate. um, It's unbelievable and he he is the heavy heavy gold medal favorite in the hundred part of that's because the hundred just isn't that thick of a field this year um but lyles has been a bit dicey this past year he is very talented as well no question but not has not had the consistency that brumell has had in his event this year uh but but every time Bromel gets in front of a mic no matter what question he asks he he's 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 it's um, it is almost distracting, and I've commented and critiqued Brumel in articles or on on another podcast. I think where I was like, okay, Brumel, I love that you're trying to give glory to God, but um, here's how I would do it. And so I'm not saying Brumel perfect, but I think that's a huge reason why he's not being featured for sure. Uh, it doesn't he doesn't fit the narrative for these things, and so these journalists know what's going to get attention, they know what's going to get clicks, and it just is it's crazy. You know, the people that the athletes that they choose to highlight. If you want to choose to be a champion of certain um, social things, you're going to get attention, and that's just what the reality is. Uh, and unfortunately, it's it's not really for people who are always uh, who are standing on one side of the aisle, so to speak, it seems. I guess I don't mean that necessarily politically, but um, more foundationally, belief-wise. So that, that's a little bit disappointing. And especially in track and field, I just think those two athletes in particular, I was thinking Vashti Cunningham. Wow, how is no one talking about Vashti? I liked how they did mention Sydney McLaughlin. She's maybe the most talented um, female track and field athlete that we have on our team, so she's on there. But, yeah, overall, a little bit disappointing on the storytelling side. Now, speaking of storytelling, I just dropped an article. Um, Oh, no, wait. Have I not dropped this article yet? I'm not sure if I have. Uh, (laughs) Now I'm getting ahead of myself. But uh, talking about um, the new... Classical music, storytelling being the new classical music, essentially the thesis there is, um, you know, we lost classical music because of a lack of a capacity to appreciate it. And I believe that's happening in journalism too. So classical music, uh, used to be, you sit in front of the radio as entertainment instead of the TV and. And so you hear your favorite song once every month maybe, and when it comes on, you better believe you're gonna be paying close attention to it. It heightened your ability to hear things. It also, and by heightening that ability, you were able to hear the intricacies and complexities that make classical music very special. And what ended up happening is, is uh, CDs come, online streaming comes, and now people can listen to music whenever they want. Uh, as much as they want just the hooks that they want um the the long the long range consequence of this is we became saturated with an easy to listen to uh easy quickly gratifying taste in music uh which is not aesthetically objectively as beautiful or as rich as as classical music is I'll say and so the um you now classical music still still around obviously people do perform in, but the likelihood you run into someone who understands and is educated and can it has the capacity to appreciate and listen to classical music really understand that art it's very rare and the same thing i think is happening in journalism so we're seeing the the uh, currently the attention span what what the appetite is of society isn't one to sit down and read a long form story no matter what the quality of the work they're, they're interested and able to, maybe that's more critical, able to surf the web quick, click on things all over the place. They can read a story for two minutes here, a YouTube video here, clip here, TikTok there. They, they don't want to hold a magazine and flip through a National Geographic 20-page feature on what's going on in um, South America or Europe or Africa which I think is sad. So <laughs> what, what uh, Frank Deford, Deford, Deford once said, the great writer for Sports Illustrated, he said the internet killed journalism. And I think that is now very true. And it's a similar concept as with classical music that um, because of what the internet has brought, the ability for anyone to post things and of any quality and the ability for the consumer to sift through things rapidly. It's changed what they're able, what they want to do, which has affected their capacity to consume as well. And I think education plays into that too. Our ability to read and write at a high level is has been diminished over the, the decades. And so with that diminished capacity and education, we don't really like, uh, we don't have an appetite for rich complex writing either and and i'm not saying oh here i am a good writer i i would love to grow in the craft as well that's what i aspire to be but there is definitely a little bit of a side of me that goes wow well, even if i was the best writer you <laughs> know would it even matter um the best writer in the world you know who's who's uh reading his stuff um so that that is a problem i think definitely needs to be addressed and you're just you're seeing it in the in the writing that is out there even on major networks even it's not great CNN to Fox News ESPN there aren't a lot of really good writers who tell great stories and when you interview athletes oh this is what i really want to bring up on the podcast here today so when they when you when you hear interviews do you hear a lot of people saying things like it was just so great it was very very amazing and just so special we struggle to even have words we, we can't even find words in our vocabulary to express ourselves beyond so very good, happy, exciting, really basic words. And this is a testament, I think, to the education side of what I'm talking about with the capacity. I've read now several biographies on athletes back in the 30s and the 40s, 60s and 70s. And I find it so fascinating when they have direct quotes from these athletes, how honest they are, first of all, um, And how direct the journalists are. This is a different era. They're asking them really, you know, direct open questions. The athletes are not trying to play games. But also the athletes are just much better at expressing themselves. They have a wider range of words they can use their their toolboxes. It's more hefty than what we have today. So um, I don't know. That's just a trend I've kind of seen. And I think it's it is affecting the storytelling to a degree as well. So speaking of good stories, though, one that I want to highlight, maybe you missed this. There is there is some good writers out there. One of them, Alan Abraham, Abrahamson, he uh, writes wiresports.com. He has some different articles. I think he's written for the LA Times as well. So he posted a great article about Wadeland Jonathus. I hope I'm saying that name right. Wadie is uh, is her nickname, and she's from Haiti. She was the third-place finisher at the Olympic trials behind Quinera Hayes and Allison Felix. And perhaps you were listening to my show when I kind of went on a rant <laughs> last time about how they they drummed up plenty of um attention for Allison Felix. And all of her, by the way, commendable the message behind Allison, one that I really do appreciate and can get behind standing up for moms and um female mother athletes. I think is great. But they've really missed out on an unbelievable story about weighty. And so I don't want to give that all away. I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, but go ahead and read that. That's an incredible story. I, I can kind of give you the Spark Notes version. Well, actually, um, the article I post about storytelling, you can go and read that on, on the CedarSkier.com website. We're we're trying to practice our long form writing. So we're trying to put out more columns. Um, go check that out, Alan Abraham's piece on the 400-meter third-placer, Wadey Jonathan, who I picked to place in medal in the Let'sRun.com contest. I'm kind of a fan as well now after reading that story. Maybe you will be too. So incredible story there about, about an athlete who didn't even start running until she was 16 and um, came over from Haiti. So I know I'm going a little bit out of order, but let's let's talk about the athletes you should care about moving forward, first of all, and then I'll go back and talk about some of the great stories. I liked my three best athletes, favorite athletes so far. So moving forward, I think the events I am most intrigued by, uh, first of all, let's start with Rye Rye Benjamin and Karsten Warholm, 400-meter hurdles, men's. So Karsten Warholm broke the, what is it, almost 30-year-old record maybe it was over 30 in the 400 hurdles, um, before this Olympics and uh, 46.7 was his time. He is a Norwegian 400 meter hurdler. Now, uh, if we're talking race here, white people sprinting, um, you know, it's a little bit different. So I think it's kind of fascinating that we have a white sprinter, uh, that's kind of different, right? But Rye Benjamin on the other side, the U S former USC standout, for the us team i believe is maybe the most talented sprinter of any event in the world rye benjamin almost broke that 400 meter hurdle record at the olympic trials in a race that looked very easy for him um and his stride is just unbelievably graceful he has incredible top end speed i do think he'd be the fastest 400 meter runner on team usa and that's saying something because we have michael norman who's um, maybe going to challenge the world record in in that event. So I think it's interesting uh, because we got Carson here kind of defying the trend. Uh, also, he is the world record holder. He's got a little bit of flair to him, the prelims, you know, winking at the camera. He's, he's the Norwegian Scandinavian dude. And we got Rye Benjamin, our guy, um and graceful elegant long really built he's got the Edwin Moses build and um i just i really want to see an insane final between the two of them i'd like to see rye benjamin win um uh, but i i'm an okay i'm kind of a closet norwegian track fan as well and we'll get to that later in the show so i'm i'm okay with carson winning as well i think i don't i don't know enough about him maybe to to know if i shouldn't cheer for him but that that rivalry is not being played up enough. Um, I four meter hurdles isn't obviously as much of a marquee event, but it could be. It has some tremendous history with Edwin Moses. And especially in America, um, with Kevin Young, he was a world record holder as well. So we have good heritage lineage there. Rye Benjamin kind of fits right in, slides right in. Um, incredibly talented athlete. Also just one of those athletes that's fun to watch. You could watch Rye Benjamin all by himself do hurdles, and it's it's like poetry in motion. So that's gonna be a great event. The next one that I will say is our women's 800. This one is pretty star-studded and packed. We have a Thingmo, we have Ajay Wilson, we have Raven Rogers. I'm predicting boldly a sweep, which would just be unreal to have any American distance event get swept. That's that's maybe the most bold call ever. Um, you know, when you're when you're talking about competing against the rest of the world, but this could be. The year that it could happen on paper, it really should happen. The only weak link I think right now, crazily enough, is Ajay Wilson. And I say that because Ajay has been the quintessential consistent 800 meter runner for the last five or six years basically since the Rio olympic games and even slightly before she was in the lower racer class in the high school coming out and actually didn't even run in college as a 16 year old she had gone to the olympic trials and uh, one of the very few people to forego college and then come out uh, and be consistent from that moment a lot of times these prodigies they they don't pan out in distance running especially when they leave Ajay has not been that and she's been just very consistent, is the American record holder in the 800, I think with a 155, both indoors and out. She's won many U.S. championships, um, been ranked number one in the world. Um, she was uh, the DSD, is that what it's, or intersex uh, controversy that has sort of uh, definitely impacted her career, we'll say it that way. So in, in a few of these seasons, she's been the number one non-intersex runner. Um, and now, of course, they're intersex athletes are not allowed to compete in events in the 800 they have to go above that which is a whole nother controversy in itself we won't talk on it now but but essentially what you need to know is wilson has has in effect been you could say robbed of of gold medals because she's been silver bronze and sometimes even out of the medals in situations where had intersex athletes not been allowed to compete in in the events when she was there she would have probably one most certainly one um so i i like ajay because of her consistency i like it because it's the rarity of a story of a high school athlete turning pro who's been consistent and on top of all that she's just she has that that demeanor quiet in the background i'm just gonna do my thing she's not a pomp and circumstance media grabbing she's not a shakari richardson and she really deserves a ton more credit and attention um for the consistent accolades that she has. And even I'll I'll say like a Centro, Matt Centro, it's the gold medalist 2016 in the 1500 He he's a little bit showy. He's always kind of in the discussion and the distance running circles just because he puts himself there. Um and he is he has an incredible resume. But Ajay Wilson has been a more consistent performer in the international stage and even on the American stage probably than Centro. We're just saying something Centro's been, you know, first or second in all the 1500s he's basically been in um so i love aj here's the problem she's not running well i think she's been dealing with an injury of the build this olympics it's just again really unfortunate circumstances uh you got to feel for her the bad luck that's kind of been there raven rogers is probably a little more talented than ajay in um you know the true top end speed Rodgers ran a 49 second split in the 4x4 back when she was at U of O and kind of saved the women's team completely and won the title for them. She won the 800 and the 4x4 that day. I remember watching it. Um, she's got her 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 uh, low, herself up on the new Bowerman Tower that's at the new Hayward Field. So that that shows you the impact she had at the U of O. And Rodgers is is kind of more built very muscular, lean, tall, powerful runner. Um, Ajay is smaller and just smooth. She almost looks like she's running a 5K when she runs the 800. And then you've got a thing, Mo. And she's sort of a little bit of a combination of the both of them. She has the smooth, relaxed nature in her stride that Ajay has. But she is 5'11", 129 pounds, and um, has, has Raven Rogers' top-end speed actually faster. Mo could have arguably contended for a medal Um, in the 400, which is absolutely nuts. She's 20 years old, I think 19 years old. So when she was 17 in high school, she set the overall American record in the indoor 600. Um, she broke both collegiate records in the 400 and the 800 this year indoors, um, and out. She ran 156 and just cleaned everyone's clock at the Olympic trials. So I I think she absolutely has a chance to win gold. I would consider her the favorite for gold, but you know, she is 20. It's, it's a lot, a lot on your shoulders right now though. Her demeanor is such, I think that she's out there to prove that she's for real. Um, I think she's hungry. She looks like a competitor out there. Very, very quiet confidence. So I'm excited for her. Rogers is a little bit of a, um to me not head case but but you never know is she if she's on it and and in just at her best you know she can reel in almost anyone probably except for mo in the home stretch so if she's had on her game if mo's on her game you could see one two there and if wilson can just run like she has for the last seven years she will be too but i i just don't know if that's going to happen so that's an intriguing storyline they did both make it through their prelims so they're alive as of this recording, finally, the third highlight, I think you need to be paying attention to, and this, this didn't get any attention on the ESPN, you know who to watch for shock, but um, the men's 1500, I know these are all track events, but track is coming now. You, you need to start paying attention to track. Okay. I didn't do enough d- dig deep diving to find out if you should be paying attention to canoeing or kayaking. I apologize. Um, 1500. What's the storyline there? Well, first of all, you've got the whole, issue with timothy chariot chariot has won something like 20 of his last 22 international races diamond leagues undefeated um since the 2016 olympics which i don't think he ran at like it was one of those situations i don't think where he made the kenyan team but from from that point on he's literally never lost I think two races he's lost. One of them was unfortunately the 2017 Worlds. He lost to his teammate, so got second. Didn't lose, but he got second at Worlds in the 1500. Um, and that was even kind of a fluke. Men enjoy Elijah. Men enjoy just kind of came out of nowhere and, and beat him. But Chariot's a front runner. He just goes right to the front. Very odd heel striking, bent over 1500 runner somehow can can crank out 327 to 329s just every single time. And he's been unbeatable for that reason on the Diamond League, won everything basically from 2017, 2018, 2019. Last year, there weren't a lot of races, so there wasn't that. But um, he, he's he been unstoppable. <laughs> and uh, in, in the Kenyan trials, all of a sudden he drops a fourth place finish. And it was shocker around the world. Um, it looked like he might not be going to the Olympic Games. Well, then he went out and raced a few diamond leagues, killed everyone again, ran 327 in Monaco, and and it's kind of he's back in the loop. Kenya put him on the team. And it actually was sort of a technicality. I think the guy who beat him did not have enough um doping procedure tests. So they couldn't have him um in the race because you have to have a certain number if you're a nation that's um on this list of um, you know, if you have a history, Kenya's on there of. Of doping violations. So they need like more testing, basically. This athlete um, is out. So Chariot's back in. So we have Chariot there, which is what we wanted as fans. Okay. Chariot's there. Defending champ Matt Centrowitz. He's back. And he's looking in great form. Just tried to break Alan Webb's mile record, did not do it, but ran 349 and kind of a tune up here before the Olympics. However, Central got outsprinted by the newest sensation, Cole Hawker, the freshman at the University of Oregon. Is a freshman or is a sophomore? I think he's a freshman. Hawker, he's came, come out of nowhere in January, February. He ran a 350 in the indoor mile. Um, since then, no one's been able to touch him. His acceleration in the final 200 and top end sprint speed is world class. And I think every American is very interested to see what it looks like on the international stage. So we're all excited to see if Hawker can mix it up with the Ingebretsons and the Chariots. Um, he did out Centro, who has been the tact, tactician, tactitional wizard of distance running for the last you know, maybe even decade. You, you know, he's always in perfect position. He has an incredibly smooth stride and very, very high end finishing speed, which is how he won the Rio gold unexpectedly. And uh, of course, Centro's is just kind of a, he's a, bold, brash, kind of big public figure. So he's he's a little bit like LeBron or Kobe where, you know, if Centro's there, people want to watch because it kind of means something. He sort of gives legitimacy to the event. Chariot gives legitimacy to the event as well because he's the best. Um, and then mixing it up, and there is Josh Kerr from Great Britain who um, won an NCAA title for New Mexico back in, I want to say, like 2016 or 2017, but he, um, he is kind of trash talk Centro in recent weeks. Uh, on his own podcast that apparently he has, uh, and I think Kerr could win overall. He is he is in the same mold as Jakob Ingebrigtsen. We're going to get to Ingebrigtsen in a second. Tall, uh, muscular, of a, a larger fifteen hundred runner than is normal from Great Britain. Um, so he's he's in the mix too. But the, okay, Jakob Ingebrigtsen, he's my guy. He's the Norwegian sensation, the youngest person ever to break four minutes in the mile. He did it at sixteen. And since then, his times have progressed every single year. He's 20 now, 327 PR in the 1500. He's run 1248 in the 5K. Um, He probably could win on the World Cup in cross-country skiing too. (laughs) He's just kind of got the build, right? He has two older brothers um, who have been international track and field athletes for Norway for a long time, and he's just kind of come up. All three of them are coached by their dad, and they coach – they, are, they train very smartly, but high volume. Um, uh, so a- anyway, he's, he's one of the most fit athletes. He's kind of earned everything he's gotten, but also has that prodigy element to him as well. And coming from Norway, you know, Norway I think is becoming a, a reputation and this Olympics is starting to show it of the people who train the smartest and have maybe the best philosophy of developing athletes, you know, we've talked about this in skiing. I've had Jim Glanis on the show, others, you know, my own discussions about Norway, uh, looking holistically at an athlete, getting athletes and programs to take from birth to grandma and grandpa age in skiing. Um, and then they combine this with the open, Transparency of their scientific research community and their coaching and national teams, because they they have the best sports researchers, they have some of the best athletes, and there's a good marriage there. And on top of that, they kind of look at sports, I think, appropriately. I think they have the best vision for what sports means in terms of well being for the whole person, and they apply that. And we're seeing athletes here like Jakob Ingebrigtsen benefit from it. You got Klabo, the whole Norwegian ski team, men and women, um, the recent successes of their triathlon, they're they are just kind of people who I think sometimes it's just, oh, wow, they train a lot. No, they train really smart. They train really smart. And they think about everything scientifically and psychologically. So they have that good marriage of science and art in terms of how they train and how they compete. Uh, Blumenfeld, Christian Blumenfeld was the person who won the gold medal in the triathlon. I'm going to get to that story in a minute. Um, But but I I really like Jakubinga and for that reason I think he represents a lot of great things so though that's what looking forward to what has happened at this Olympics that I find fascinating that is up next this podcast is brought to you by the United States Ski Pole Company if you are looking for new cross country ski poles ski mountaineering poles you should get in touch with the Cedar Skier you can email me at Rd at grizzlies.adams.edu. You can reach out on Facebook. You can comment on our page, cedarskier.com. If you would like to get a pair of cross-country ski poles, you can even customize them like I have. I have my logo. It says cedarskier.com. It's amazing. It even has a picture of my dog on it. It's very cool. You can customize your ski poles and get those graphics on there. If you already have ski poles and you want to get just a custom graphic overlay, you can do that as well. So reach out if you are interested in getting some new cross-country ski poles. I love my US uh, ski pole company poles. The reason is the straps are different. They have a better power transfer. They are um, the, the increased surface area allows for that as well as warmth. So that's awesome. The There's just so much ingenuity in the design of the poles. Everything is American made. The tips are stronger carbide, made in Pennsylvania. That allows for uh, longer lasting roller skiing sessions before you got to swap them out. So love that now in the summer they are very durable i have the xc signature poles and um, you can be rough with them <laughs> and they're not going to break so that's great the power transfer and lightness the performance side of things hey i've won a lot of races actually now on those u.s ski pole company poles so i can uh, honestly say that there's um, no performance detriment coming from the u.s Ski Pole company poles in fact i would say just the opposite they're a high-performing, high-end poll. So, U.S. pole Company polls. thank you for your support of the podcast. Let's move on here to some of the great stories that we have seen so far. First of all, the men's, well, let's, let's quick talk men's mountain bike. So what I've been doing on Peacock, I've been trying to watch the replays of some of these events while I've been working. I did watch men's mountain bike. A British guy won. Um, what I thought was amazing is just how incredibly technical these courses are. It is outstanding what these athletes can do on a mountain bike climbing up incredibly steep things going off incredibly steep downhills <laughs> so if you are kind of uh into endurance sports check out the men's mountain bike and just be marveled the way i was marveled marveling at that um i think there were a few stories in, in the road race men's cycling that i thought were kind of fascinating that an american really was mixing it up at the final breakaway there was two guys trying to get to the finish line with about 2K to go or 3K to go. And and I can't remember the American's name, but he was right there. uh again, you know, just stories like that that kind of go and miss because the the guy he was, you know, breaking away first and second, um, I can't remember what company country he was from. It was a first ever gold medal for that guy as well. But he broke away. The American could not stay with him. Uh it was a kind of inhumane looking breakaway. And then the American got caught, ended up getting like fifth or sixth. So the Peloton swooped him up. Um, but combining some of our sports here, how about men's triathlon? Um, Oh, Oh no. Cycling. I forgot to mention. This is my first story I'll bring up. Did you read about Austria's Anna Kaisenhofer upsetting the Dutch for a stunning women's road cycling gold medal? So here's a girl who hasn't been with a professional team since 2017. Okay. And it says, even CNN said this one of the greatest shocks in Olympic history. Uh, But what ended up going on here is the the Dutch had favorites in here Olympic champion Anna van der Bragen, um, reigning world champion. There was was a group there. They were um, heavy favorites going in. And what happened was Kaisenhofer was in an early breakaway. And then she broke away from the early breakaway. And the uh, Peloton caught up to that initial group and they thought, okay, this is it. There's no one out there. They don't have radios. They can't, they can't hear that Anna Kaisenhofer is actually still up way ahead. Kaisenhofer just ticks off the kilometers slowly. She's suffering and just, you know, putting in this incredible once in a lifetime effort. Meanwhile, back in the Peloton, the Dutch favorites kind of, you know, make their way out in front. And actually after Kaisenhofer crossed the, the finish line, gold, right. It's just incredible. Um, the Dutch, Uh, the Dutch women now I think was it Van Vluten I think who had launched she was second yeah Annemiek Van Vluten Dutch favorite comes across thinks she actually won while she was actually second so she had an interesting story as well because I think it was a Rio Olympic games where she had a crash so she was a favorite and did not get gold so that's also kind of a sad again the agony of defeat these are great Olympic stories you want to know Van Vluten had some of that agony and here we have this upstart lady who's not even with a pro team she coaches herself she's a PhD student um, you know over the age of 30 it's all all those things that just kind of I can't believe that's actually happening you know um, almost just a regular person she's there by herself no other Austrian athletes so uh, really, really this, that's the Cedar skier, make your dreams become a reality, uh, effort of the Olympics so far. No doubt. Um, I, I love the individual approach to those things too. I'm a big team person. Don't get me wrong, but, but I think it is really cool when someone goes, you know what, I'm not getting the opportunities I need with these teams. I know what I'm good at. I know what I need. Um, I'm just going to pursue excellence and do those things. And, and if I get the opportunity. I'll give it my best shot and see what happens. And she was gutsy, went out and did it. Cool story. Second story comes from triathlon. A Colorado triathlete got sixth place in the men's triathlon. That's the highest place ever for an American in Olympic history. Kevin McDowell, but, uh, and he currently trains and lives in Colorado Springs. He's 28 years old from Illinois went to UUC, Colorado Springs. He was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma in 2011, took six months off to complete chemotherapy before returning to elite competition. He recently celebrated 10 years of being cancer-free. So how about that for an interesting inside story as well? And McDowell, I was watching the event, he actually took the lead in the run um, early on uh, incredible moment, right? A little bit of a Steve Prefontaine moment. Now that race got broken up by the first story. I'll say my favorite story, which was uh, Christian Blumenfeld, the Norwegian. Um, and Blumenfeld, <laughs> the reason I like it, there's a lot of reasons. Okay. First of all, if you watch the race, it's like watching Emil Zadopek circa, um, Oslo 1952. Okay. You just got this grimace on his fra- face. He's kind of even has the Zadopek look. You know, he sort of got that receding hairline, kind of a bald spot at the top of his head. He doesn't really look like what you'd picture an elite triathlete to look like. His stride isn't either. He's kind of, is this shorter, stockier frame. His face is all Zodopek, right? Just gritty grimace. Um, and so in the race, he is behind uh, Yi was the last name, the Great Britain athlete. Yeah, is it Alex Yi? I, I got to look that up now. So anyway, the uh, the two of them, are yeah, Alex Yee. The two of them are duking it out along with a, a, a group, maybe five or six. You know, McDowell is in there for a while as well. And these are athletes, by the way, right? They do, I can't remember the distance of the swim, but then it's 40K on the bike and then a 10K run. So you can probably imagine if you're an athlete, you can imagine a 40K bike and a 10K run. You should be able to imagine that pretty well. I mean, Yi is actually, he's run 745 in the 3K, 2747 in the 10 K and he is probably what every endurance athlete aspires to look like and be okay. He's an incredible biker. When he runs, he looks like a gazelle, just this beautiful picture, perfect stride. He's long and lean and toned. And here is this short little, um, you know, just kind of stocky heel striking, um, Norwegian, right. Who, who looks, I, 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 it's just it's just good the gritty performance, right. and I, and I'm sorry if I'm focusing on appearance that's offending you in some way. but but it adds to it, in my opinion, to this story. it's it it does add to it because I think it's cool that that we we can focus on the appearance in a way that says, see, we shouldn't focus on it. So that's why I'm doing that. but but yeah, you've got the contrast there, right? Yi is loping along, looks totally relaxed. And here's this gritty Amel zodapec reincarnated triathlete, um uh, right there as well. Well, what ended up happening is, um, Christian, we're on a first name basis. Now Blumenfeld, he pulls this totally Zodepic move with about 2k to go. I mean, he just, it was a slow ramp up, but he, but he just, he went right. And he, he gapped ye by about 200 yards and it wasn't, it wasn't in the final 400. It was, it was out there a ways, you know, and, and, and he's gr- grimacing the whole time. Uh, the commentators were making something of his uniform as well. It was a special material that was really, really light, very thin, see-through, all white. You know, they, they had the Norwegian colors kind of um, subdued because of this, he brought that up. And the thing that caught social media's attention is because it was so see-through and they're dumping water on themselves, you could just see right through his uniform. So he had these black shorts on, fortunately, <laughs> covering the important parts. But, But again, I think it was an example of, When they talked about his training, uh, apparently he's just a training, uh, monster. You know, they said eight hours a day. I don't think he's doing eight hours every single day, but he might be focusing on training eight hours a day, but apparently incredibly high volumes of training and here you see team Norway has thought of every little possible thing down to their uniform. They don't care if they're going to be a see-through thing. I bet his black shorts underneath were even something special as well. Um he trained in the heat even though he grew grows up uh, grew up in Bergen that's where he lives, you know, saunas, biking and saunas, all the uh, every last detail. And he actually said afterwards he didn't think it was hot enough. He was kind of disappointed. <laughs> Classic quote. So um That was a cool story because it kind of weaved in what I mentioned about Norway and their athletic and how they view things. I love that he's a monster trainer and just like piles on the volume. Okay, that's cool. I love how he didn't care about wearing his uniform. It's just, it's all functional. And I love how he's not a kicker. And he made a gutsy move to get to the finish, and you could just see the the final part of the race is it's so human you can relate to it. Okay, that's why you should go back and watch the last five k of this race. You can see him um, humbly going behind Yi, the the goddess or the god of running stride right there, and and then pull off his Zatorpek move. Relive the Oslo fifty two games. Was it Oslo? I think he did. Yeah, he Helsinki. I don't know. Zatorpek. And then come across the finish line going, what just happened? I'm going to win. And he's an amazing athlete. He actually holds the record, the world record for the half Ironman. Half Ironman is a 1.2 swim, 50, it would be 56 mile bike. And then a half marathon. His half marathon time in that race was 107 flat. So that gives you an idea of just how fit the triathletes are. I think they might be the fittest um, endurance athletes on the planet. I know as a skier, I like I would like to say that, but I don't know how you can go up against triathlon, to be honest. I do have another story related to this Olympics. I should have put it in my top three. I guess it's not, not related to an athlete, but the 10 year old journalist, did you see this on the, on her turf NBC sports? I will link the video of the interview in the show notes as well. This is cool, man. Cam- Camila, Pepper Pursley. So Camila Pursley is her name. Her nickname is Pepper, and she's a ten-year-old New Yorker who hopped on the on her turf at the Olympics yesterday. She's still just a child, but she's made a name for herself in the WNBA. At the age of six, she began interviewing WNBA players. This evolved into writing articles, attending Zoom press conferences, gaining access to the sports' top athletes. Four years later, so um, she's oh, what a cool, what a cool kid. Okay, she's ten. She wants to be a journalist her she says her number one goal is to be a wmba player turned reporter so actually she and i love this so cute she goes so i guess reporter turned WNBA player turned reporter again or i guess i could do it all at the same time pepper that is uh that was my dream when i was your age as well i was like i'll just make it to the nba and then be a journalist simple as that right simple as that um so Sorry, we had an issue with the volume there. So Pepper, um, inspirational. That's why I got her out here. I love that. An inspirational story. Just someone going to go and take it. She's like a younger, more successful version of me, I guess. You know, she's going out there and doing that stuff. Uh, yeah, cause, well, the reason it was reminding me is because here, when we started the Cedar Skear Podcast, it was just, hey, let's go out and interview some people. Just, I'm going to get in there and just do it. Here I am. I'm an independent journalist. I want to write stories. I want to um, do interviews, do features. We're, we're just going to roll with it. And and I was very fortunate to have athletes be uh, agreeable and responsive to that, and it's led to some uh, great things and and fun fun conversations and I think some good relationships as well. So I'm I'm sure that's happening for Pepper as as well. But the cool part as well about this story is Pepper is a great student. She loves to play violin. She loves to play basketball. I mean, she was in this story talking, I I do want to make to the WNBA. And she loves journalism. It's well-rounded. So all those aspects are cool. My encouragement to Pepper would be to, hey, be the best you can be at all of them for as long as you can. And you'll probably discover that certain aspects of each of those traits are going to be beneficial for the rest of your life. And you might be able to utilize them for the rest of your life, too. So people always kind of told me that you're going to have to choose one thing at some point. Um, And I, I found that actually at all stages of my life, whether it was my love of teaching, writing, playing trumpet or playing sports or researching sports or writing about sports, I've kind of had an outlet for all of them simultaneously at different degrees throughout my life. So I've kind of always been able to teach, always been able to coach, always been able to write and edit. Sometimes at different phases, uh, those things have taken on and and been allowed more more volume in my life at at different stages. But um, and and you've had to dial back on others. You know, I I don't practice my trumpet nearly as much as I did in college. and and when I was in high school, I maybe was writing um a little bit less than I am now. But they've all kind of still been there. And so I think, Pepper, you can do those things and keep them up. Even if you don't make it to the WNBA, I'm sure you'll learn lots about sports in your journey to pursue greatness. That was a cool story. I thought, here's uh, your, your story's not so great. Maybe we should just end there. We should probably just end the podcast with that. Um, I did want to bring up, I don't know if you've caught this, the uh, quarantined athlete stories. Okay. This is a little bit disturbing. There's, there was a skateboarder talking about her quarantine situation, Dutch skateboarder, a Dutch judo athlete and and all of them just, man, they kind of make you cringe a little bit. Um, let's go to the, the Dutch, where is it? Here we go. Um, I wanted to find my well for the first the first quarantine story i read actually was the the great britain athletes assigned to a 14 day quarantine the six athletes four staff um they were they finally were allowed to go out and train one of them was a steeplechaser uh, basically they were on a flight with someone who had contracted so none of them actually had covid at all um and they were they arrived and it was bam 14 day uh, quarantine and they're just sitting in their hotel rooms. It's very crazy, kind of depressing. Um, Zach set made some headlines as a steeplechaser because he was struggling mentally after spending a week in his room, um, and and really finding it uh, to be an incredible challenge. And a lot right away, some people are like, "Well, it's not that bad. We just got to kind of do what we got to do." And and he was saying, "Man, this is. It's not fair that you're saying that. Like, I really." He sounds to me like he's someone who is very extroverted, finds that energy from people. So so this is a uh, legitimately a difficult, almost torturous situation for him, a bordering inhumane for sure uh, being just forced to stay in a room. Um And he's very, he's struggling with it. Well, now the issue with the Simone Biles coming out mental health, I think, I think people might go retrace their steps on the, on um Zach Seddon's claims as well and kind of go, wow, what are we doing here? Um And it was shortly after that where uh, the quarantine Olympic skateboarder, Candy Jacobs, you know, she ended up leading a a strike even about the inhumane cases. Um, she's been in isolation for eight days. She missed her event. Okay. She said she had to she had to force officials to allow her for a supervised short break for some fresh air away from her room where the window doesn't open. Um, she was removed from the Olympic Village, put in a quarantine facility for people at the Tokyo Games infected with the virus on her seventh day of isolation. She said sh- she said she refused to move. Not have. This is a quote. Not having any outside air is so humane. The 31 year old Jacob said, posting in a video message on Instagram. Mentally super draining. Definitely more than a lot of humans can handle. Uh, uh, detail here. After more than seven hours, she, officials agreed she could stand at an open window under supervision for 15 minutes. This is a quote. Having that first breath of outside air was the saddest and best moment in my life, Jacob said. So. Uh, and this too, this ride has been the wildest I've ever been on. Hopefully you never will have to go through something like this again. Wow. Um, and then the IOC, Tokyo, Oregon, just didn't really respond. I think later on uh, a couple days or a day later or something, the, this, um, one of the uppers in the IOC was like, okay, we're working on it. We're going to try and see if we can fix this. You know, we're trying to be safe, uh, but we're definitely considering it. Um, and, and this goes hand in hand with another Dutch athlete, the Taekwondo athlete, the headline from NBC. Dutch Taekwondo athlete speechless after testing positive. So she shows up, test positive, Olympic dream over. Okay. She's 31 years old. She's got, I've overcome major knee injuries. Now it's a sudden end. This is the end of my career. Um, She's beginning a 10-day quarantine. Well, um, (laughs) the the 10-day quarantine turns into a pretty torturous thing as well. Um, She drew worldwide attention. She described her isolation as Olympic jail in an Instagram posting. So they're trying to improve conditions for these athletes but but it sounds very 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 strict and people coming from different situations are just not not used to that level of lockdown. A, a little bit creepy honestly um to to do this and in a quote that stuck out for me it was from an official let's see an IOC spokesman this is on the next case I'm going to talk to but but it basically where is it he said Oh, now I can't find the direct quote. I have it summarized, (laughs) but he said that no. So there's been cases of COVID, obviously, of athletes coming over to Tokyo, but they have not had any transmission from a Tokyo athlete to the rest of the Japanese population. So that's a positive. At least I guess they're unbelievably intense. Um, Restrictions are effective. So here's the next story though, how it really affected track and field Americans and a great guy, Sam Kendricks. I don't know if you paid attention to this, but Kendricks tested positive for COVID just days before, um, his, uh, pole vaulting started. Kendricks has won the world's twice. He, he is very well known for at Rio being halfway down the runway of a, of an attempt and stopping because the national anthem was playing, um, former military guy. Um, so, Kendricks apparently, what his dad I think is his coach. So it was he posted on Instagram. Let me find the find the quote from his dad. It was very sad. Basically, what they found out was uh, he got a positive test, but he has no symptoms, nothing of that sort. And so they said he won't be able to compete. That's just that's just crazy. Uh, So yeah, his dad was one who put the put the post up on Twitter, and it was taken down. Why can't I find my article here? Sam Kendricks out. Yeah, we'll confirm one. He went back to back golds. Uh, Kendrick's father today in Tokyo, officials informed Sam that his daily test for COVID was positive. He's out of the competition. He feels fine. He has no symptoms. Love you, son. See you soon. And th- now it just says to like, it was removed subsequently deleted. I don't know if his, he decided to delete it or if Twitter took it down, <laughs> but, uh, Really strange. And and actually a senator came to his defense. Republican senator said he should be able to compete. Um, the Olympic committee should be fair. I'm not sure exactly what his justification is. Um the the senator basically said it's almost certainly a false positive. So I think that's where maybe the controversy is. Uh where this here the senator saying, hey, it's gotta be a false positive. Kendricks maybe thinks it's false positive too. He's got no symptoms or anything. So um, I, I don't know if, if it's come out that no, he's tested positive other times too. So Mark Adams, the IOC spokesperson said that they're testing everyone the same way, but then he also said he can't speak to this specific case. So that that's the part that makes me a little bit nervous. I guess here we have a, a gold medal favorite, an event, um, that they are kind of pegging. And I think there, there could be, if you, if you want to get really sinister, you know, conspiracy theory, Kendricks has had COVID before. So I don't think he is. I think it's likely he was not vaccinated, um, and people are trying to make a big deal of that. Of course, he had COVID already, and then he had the Olympic trials. It really, even if he wanted to get vaccinated, people he he couldn't have done it. Like there would not have been a time for him to take the vaccination, put himself in jeopardy of not making the team. So if you're a really really pro vax person don't get down on sam kendricks or any athlete for not having been vaccinated that would have taken a lot of foresight to do in the training in the hecticness of that so i think that's really unfair if that if that was that conspiracy like hey let's let's test this guy make sure he's tested positive then am like this big deal well he's not vaccinated blah 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 um i don't know why they would do that maybe because he's a military guy and He's kind of from a red state, you know. There, there's the there's the conspiracy theory stuff, I guess. So I I just feel awful for Kendricks. He he seems like the consummate patriot in terms of again a guy who was competing at the last Olympics and stopped halfway through the runway to to um, put his hand on his heart for the national anthem. That's insane for another athlete, right? Um, and he's very accomplished, two time world gold medalist. He he's our best pole vaulter. So this is really depressing to see. I don't think it's going to change or be overturned, but obviously a big bummer. And I have one final story to get to. I already wrote about a little bit on Simone Biles. Um, This is about mental toughness and mental health. And what's the difference? Okay. Because I think the part that's aggravating me about this conversation is a lack of clear definitions of these terms. So some people are, are, are being really bombastic and saying, whoa, Biles just couldn't handle the pressure. Right, and we'd never we would get down on Tom Brady or LeBron James if they did this. I I think that's ridiculous for a lot of reasons. Um, and uh, but, um, I think also well, let's let's just back up. Okay, we have we have two words that we need to clarify: mental health and mental toughness. Because some people, Biles herself, right, saying I need to focus on my mental health. We have some people saying she's not mentally tough. What do these things mean? I think when we think of mental health, typically we're normally thinking of. And that having to do more with your emotional health, okay? So if someone's at risk of committing suicide, I think we think mental health generally, okay? Uh, when we think mental toughness, I think typically we think of just gritty. Are you tough through pain? Can you deal with competition? Can you handle also with pressure, right? We think of this, this connection with sports. Um, so I think we need to be clear that in sports psychology, mental toughness Is a little bit more encompassing than just how well you can deal with pain. Jones Hanton, there's a few studies, you know, with definitions, scientific literature you could look at. You have the four C's, uh, which I think was brought to, was that Chloe and Early? Yeah, Clo and Early in 2002. uh, Four components make up mental toughness confidence, challenge, control, and commitment. But there's some other studies too, a definition by Jones Hanton and Connaughton in 2002. Two, mental toughness is having the natural or developed psychological edge that enables you to generally cope better than your opponents with many demands, competition, training, lifestyle that sports places on a performer. Specifically, be more consistent and better than your opponents in remaining determined, focused, confident, and in control under pressure. Okay, so mental toughness involves imagery. It involves... It does involve, um, being able to focus, being able to hone in on something despite distractions, it involves being able to cope with not just your competition, not just physical pain in in training and competition, also lifestyle, being able to manage everything that's going on interviews, um, family life pressures from media of training, all that balance, all of those things do kind of encompass mental toughness. So if we're going back to the Simone Bias case, I suppose technically, if you're someone who's saying she lacks mental toughness, there is a sense where you would be correct in that, I think. I think that's because, because I think what we're seeing with Simone is um, if you want to say, well, she's kind of, she's struggling with something with her mental health. Okay, well, in a sense, being mentally tough by a scientific definition, okay, has to do with your mental health too. Mental health, by the way, if you're, if you're looking at a definition for mental health, defined by the World Health Organization is a state of well-being in which the individual realizes his or her own abilities, can cope with the normal stresses of life, can productively and fruitfully, um, can work productively and fruitfully, and is able to make a contribution to his or her community. It includes subjective well-being, perceived self-efficacy, autonomy, competence, um, self-actualization, one's intellectual emotional potential, among other things. So, I think the part there where it says coping with normal stresses of life, that is definitely related somehow to the mental toughness by a sports psychology definition. All right, but but this is also complex too. I, personally, I sort of see it as. Okay, she's got the twisties, right? It's like the yips in golf, only the twisties in gymnastics, if you can't get over that, you you might like break your neck. And and if you've never if you can't really understand what like the yips in golf would be, think of something where mentally you almost feel like you can't control a sort of reaction. Um almost like you know when the doctor hits you on your knee and your your leg just pops up, right? You you can't even control that. It's not exactly that cuz that's literally you can't control it. But it's sort of like that, where where it's almost like your body just automatically is doing something. You don't feel like you can really control it, and it's frustrating. Now, mental toughness, sports psych would say that there is a level of focus training you can do to overcome that. So that's the part for me. If I'm going, if I wanted to make an argument, not say I'm going to. But if I want to say, where is Simone Biles, maybe not mentally tough, it would be somewhat, well, she has to grow in this area. Like she's got to work through the yips. She's got to work through the twisties. Okay, Um, there could be that. Right. I think you could argue, though, too, that by this definition of the by the by the by WHO, about just basic mental health, maybe there really is just so much strain and you've got the Nasser case, you've got that the sexual abuse thing I'm talking about there. You've got the pressure of being the greatest of all time. You've got the Olympics, just everything going on. COVID, you know, the the protocols we just talked about. All those things could be adding up where Biles like not even rec- realizing what's going on has had it where things have all of that has led to a development of the twisties, right? Without her necessarily controlling it. it's like, yeah, your brain is actually Overwhelmed right now with all of these stimuluses. There's there's so many stimuluses. No reasonable person would be able to manage them. So this is what's happened. So I, I don't think it's right for us to get down on Biles, comparing it to like a uh, just sheer the pressure of the moment. I think we're all aware that Biles is able to handle the pressure of the moment, right? She's won ten hundred thousand competitions. She's been on the top stage. She's won the Olympic gold all around. She can compete in. High pressure situations. If you're if you're someone questioning that, I think there's there's an issue. But if you're someone who's scientifically analyzing this and going, wait, mental toughness, mental health, where's the intersection? Well, then I think you, there's a lot more to be discussed there because it is possible that all these stimuluses, she is she is not able to manage them utilizing. The those traits in mental toughness that I just uh, referenced in a sports science way, um, and and it's affected her mental health, and the result has been to do to to kind of have the twisties to not feel right going into the competition. Now that being all said, this to me makes her decision to remove herself. The thing that's not being highlighted uh, as much, I, I wish was more, is I actually think it was an unselfish move by her because she knew she wasn't going to score high in that team competition. Right. So she's like, Hey, I'm actually hurting the team by being out here. Let's get someone else in here. I I think that was commendable for the, for the greatest of all time to do that. Um, and, 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 you know, I wrote this article that's saying, well, here's Simone piles, humble pie, right. Tasting that. And, and there's an element of truth to that. And there also is an element of, um, Unjustified because she did make a very humble move by giving up her spot. So I do want to say that 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 I, I I'm not like set on Simone Biles being a Terrell Owens type. I don't think she's there at all. However, if you do click on the preview, the ESPN story I mentioned right away, where uh, athletes to watch, if you click on the Simone Biles thing, you'll see these tweets in Sports Center, and she's got the goat slippers, and she's pretty proud about that, and all that stuff. And and um I now now having Twenty twenty hindsight, maybe she's shielding all of that insecurity right now that she had feel, felt and just trying to go, yeah, people think I'm the guard. I'm just going to go with it. Right. Um, yeah. It, it's a complex, interesting situation, probably getting a lot too much press and talk, but I just wanted to clarify some of my thoughts behind that. And also just express that. I think one thing people that might be confusing the con- the conversation even more is the fact that we are work, work, work confounding those terms, too much and making it unclear. So anyway, that's the Cedar skier podcast for today. We're halfway through the Olympics. Um, Oh, I said you could, Oh, I never got to my locations for Olympic games. Shoot. I guess I'll have to post something on Facebook. I always leave something out of the show. When I run out of time, (laughs) I always run out of time for the Olympics. Well, maybe that'll be a perfect end of Olympics discussion. Where would you host the Olympic games? So you can be thinking about that. If you had a chance to, or if you could decide, The Olympics should only be in one place, winter and summer. So one place for winter, one place for summer. Where would you choose? And if you had a four-year rotation for winter and a four-year rotation for summer, or a four-place rotation, rather, where would you choose those? You can think about that and uh, reach out, and we'll, we'll talk about that on our next show as well. So thank you for joining us on the Cedar Skier Podcast. Keep on striving. We'll see you later.